David learns to read at age 4, Rachel at age 9. In normal development, when both are 13, you can't tell which one learned first. The five-year spread means nothing at all. But in school, I label Rachel learning disabled and slow David down a bit too. For a paycheck, I teach David to depend on me to tell him when to go and stop. He won't outgrow that dependency. I identify Rachel as discount merchandise, special education fodder. She'll be locked in her place forever. In 30 years of teaching kids, rich and poor, I almost never met a learning disabled child. Hardly ever met a gifted and talented one either. Like all school categories, these are sacred myths created by human imagination. They derive from questionable values that we never examine because they preserve the temple of schooling. Welcome to W5H. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. A podcast where we explore ideas through books and discussion. I'm one of your co-hosts, Luki Danukaryanto. And I'm your other co-host, David Shu. Let's crack those books open and get started. All right, Luki, welcome to the first episode of W5H. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. And our first season where we're going to be talking about what is wrong with education. <laughs> Luki, it's great to talk to you again. Great to have you here and uh, great to be joining you and talking about one of my favorite subjects, education. And a uh, fitting title for this given that uh, we kind of first met, I guess, in W5H way back when in <laughs> school at the same time. So maybe <laughs> things are coming full circle. Absolutely, absolutely. And the book that we're going to be talking about this week is a bit of, I mean, it, it, the book, even the title of it is controversial. It's called Weapons of Mass Instruction mm-hmm. by John Taylor Gatto. Right. And maybe maybe you should start and just give us a quick breakdown of what this book is actually about for people out there who have not heard of the man and or who have not read the book. Sure. So the book is obviously a play on the weapons of mass destruction for uh, when folks were uh, trying to liberate the uh, kind of Iraqi people. But um, in this case, we're talking about instruction. We're talking about schooling or in this case, a bit of unschooling, I would say, where. (laughs) Uh, the the author uh, John Taylor Gatto he talks about the challenges with the school system so the public school system in the U.S. specifically but kind of relates it to other parts of the system that are pretty pervasive in other parts of the world as well and he advocates uh, homeschooling and kind of unschooling as well and it's a bit of a kind of a libertarian view in regards to uh, education uh, where he points out that there's this kind of a different sort of unseen hand that is orchestrating school as a means of control for folks. And uh, for, for those that don't know who uh, John Taylor Gatto is, he's a teacher um, in the public school system out of uh, New York City in the New York State area. And he is a fairly accomplished one where he actually won Teacher of the Year for several years based on his instruction methods. But I guess uh, part of it was because he was going against the system or doing things that are different than the system. But then he eventually just got fed up with the system and realized that it was failing a lot of the students that uh, he was trying to get um, through the system and out into the real world with a real education uh, versus schooling, right? So he basically quit in, in circa 1991 and became an activist writer on education. And he uh, has written several books. Uh, I, I think I read another one called Dumbing Us Down, which is more related to kind of um, uh, post-secondary education, but it's kind of a, a similar type of vein 
where uh, it is about the school system and some of the challenges that are uh, through it. So, uh, Dave, David, that's kind of my synopsis. What other things did you want to add to that? I think you covered it pretty well, broadly speaking. I mean, it's a book that's about why schools are failing us, mm-hmm. right? And it sort of examines the principles at play of why schools are designed the way they are and why they don't work and sort of offers a bit of, you know, an, al- an alternative option to the way most of us think about school. I think most of us, you know, as parents, we schlep our kids to school <laughs> five days a week, seven hours a day or something. And then at the end of it, we expect that they've learned stuff and they'll become valuable members of society. And this book actually says, stop all mm-hmm. of that stuff. Every single step of that paradigm is wrong, which is a little nuts if you think about it, right? This is mm-hmm. a pretty like drastic take you know, to like, it it really is one of these, like, let's blow up the whole world to fix it kind of things. If you think about how ingrained this concept, you know, especially for us, maybe as immigrant families, Mm -hmm. that how important school is for our children and for, and for ourselves, like both you and I, you know, went to university and, you know, we're still working with students. So in a way, this book is a bit of a personal attack on what we're doing too. And so, I found it a I found it a challenge to to read and try to parse through because there's a lot of stuff going on at the same time in this book. I I think we need to break it down in more detail. Yeah, I actually had a slightly different view where I actually thought it was a little bit well eye opening in the sense that yeah, a lot of the uh, realities of what I hear when I speak to some of the, the young folks kind of uh, become very apparent. It's like, oh, okay, that makes sense in terms of why things are the way they are. But at the same time, there is probably a bit of um, temperance that's needed on the message because I don't think it's as as, as severe or, or, or vicious <laughs> as he makes it out to be. But at the same time, uh, there's probably a seed of truth in, in, in some of it. So it's, it's having to kind of tease apart what's uh, by design and intention versus what is kind of a side effect versus, well, it's not really there at all. And that's just based on interpretation. What, what you're saying is that the arguments that he makes sometimes are a little bit extreme, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's what you're saying. To a point, I mean, of course, yeah. <laughs> but in a way that I found, you know, maybe defeats the purpose of the book. Because mm. as we start to break down the book, we're going to end up saying, well, these ex- arguments are so extreme that they cannot possibly be true. Mm. And to turn our children ostensibly into clones, right? right? Or drones, you know, one of the two, right? Happy, peaceful you know, conformist people who will go out and buy products that big companies want to sell that mm-hmm. will not be interested in revolution and shaking things up and live a peaceful life and allow, you know, the rich to get richer and the poor to stay poor. Like the <laughs> book basically makes an argument that the system was intentionally designed to produce this effect. And that argument, he is very, very, you know, strongly presented in the book. I had trouble really accepting it. Like it seemed a little bit too science fictiony or, you know, conspiracy theorist for my take. But I don't I don't know what you think about it. Yeah, I mean, I can see some of the validity of the arguments there, but uh, I mean without all the detailed uh, citations and the book notes like he, he references a few things and it it makes for an interesting argument but at the same time it's like really did it happen that conveniently and all of this wait, wait wait but yeah 
detailed citations there were no <laughs> detailed citations in this book to be fair, to be truthful about it fair fair enough he just mentions <laughs> a, a paper that someone wrote at some point and basically <laughs> no page references no specifics or anything but yeah I, I mean if if someone were to kind of go through and uh kind of co compile all of the different uh pieces maybe they might find a, a, a shred of truth in it and and i would imagine that there's a bit of it as well um, but at the same time, it because as you pointed out, it puts the argument to one full extreme. It's really hard mm -hmm. to ignore that it might have been a more of a happenstance versus like uh, ill will uh, towards the um, the upper class to uh, rule the the working class and 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 that sort of right. thing. Right. So. Do you, at the end of the reading of it, do you believe this argument? Like, do you think that the system was intentionally designed? simply yes or no so if i had to pick a, a yes or no answer yeah uh if, if i were to give it a yes or no i, I would probably say no uh, i didn't think it was kind of one uh evil genius <laughs> that put it out there and kind of masterminded it but it was kind of a more of a series of unfortunate events that cause certain things to to happen mm -hmm. i would say that the book reads a little bit like something like you know karl marx you know, on <laughs> capitalism and stuff like that, where mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he's really trying to force, forcibly present an argument, right? And that argument, you know, may or may not hold water 100% of the way through, but there are certain truths to it mm -hmm. that make sense. And kind of like, you know, this whole idea that, you know, in a capitalistic society that consumption and materialism take over and that you know we really need communism to like break the the hold of that on society and and you know allow the totalitarian to to rise up similar idea here he's just arguing that the school system is oppressive it's the core problem of all of society and that as regular people we need to break through this so this book is not really intended to be like like an analytical you know well-cited thing it's it's intended i think to stir your passions as a parent or as a student or as anyone who's interested in education to get you fired up and questioning what's true right it's not a book that's meant to be read like line for line but the problem with it is it makes a lot of sort of grandiose claims and if you try to read it line by line and those claims start to break down it really does call into question does this argument work or not for sure and i think that's kind of what happens to the book but at the same time i took away from it that you know what i, I actually believe a lot of what is in there so whether you uh, agree with me or not uh david it's, it's one of those things that uh i i again not because it's the ill intent or the ill wishes of someone to create that uh, controlling class for one but at the same time it's one of those things well like as a side effect i i do think that a lot of what uh, has sort of come come to pass is uh kind of what what happened right and and that's more mm -hmm. than the side effect of things and it resulted in consumerism and all that sort of stuff with a whole bunch of people that are uh, probably not working or living to their career potential or their life's potential and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. Now, one part of the book that I found interesting is this, the whole history angle, mm -hmm. you know, of the history of education in America. 
like when we think about schooling, like especially as we're growing up, you kind of took it for granted that, you know, kids always went to school, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you'd imagine Little House on the Prairie, you know, kids were going to school 50 years ago. They were going to school 70 years ago. You could kind of imagine in your mind, maybe they were going to school in a one room schoolhouse and blah, blah, blah. But you just kind of took it for granted that schools always existed. And this book lays out one of its fundamental things is that school, this kind of modern schooling where we put kids in school for eight, six hours or eight hours a day, 10 months of the year. This is a relatively new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And this is true. This is not really, you know, a thing that we're nitpicking. But it's interesting to think about how recent of a phenomenon schooling really is, you know, in terms of the history of you know, civilization. It's a fairly modern concept that we would take every child and put them into this thing and expect them all to come out and, you know, be resourceful and useful adults. The problem, one of the problems I had with this argument is that I have felt like, as he kept saying, you know, we should go back to early America. Like he kept mentioning this, that, you know, the society now has lost its way. We need to get back to what America was like 200 years ago or mm-hmm. 300 years mm-hmm. ago before schooling. And it kept implying that the, you know, it's one of those like, the, you know, back in my day, the olden <laughs> days were great kind of arguments. Yep. I don't know how much I buy this, right? Because at some point in the book, he even makes this, you know, this claim that Americans in like 1800s were more well-read, more literate than Americans today. Mm-hmm. This seems rather implausible. I tried to look for information about this online. I couldn't find anything, mm-hmm. right? And it's just one of these claims that he throws out there. It seems hard for me to believe in a society that where women were not that educated, slaves were everywhere, that we could make the argument that their society was more literate than it is today. But I don't know. Yeah, and I think part of that is uh, trying to figure out what is that uh, benchmark of uh, kind of being literate or, or what have you, right? So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure that they were able to kind of read some of the, the basic words to uh, get to the market and, and kind of do their business on, on a day-to-day basis. So uh, I think in, in another book that I was reading on a separate topic that to learn any language, even though a language might have upwards of like 10,000 words or something, there's really only like 500 words that really make up the like 80%, 90% of daily speech. So mm. if we take that as kind of a proxy where if uh, during whatever the 1800s, 1700s or before and, and uh, folks were learning those 500 words, I could see that as being quite uh, pervasive as, as people being more, more literate. Now to say that they know the other whatever uh, 9,900 or 9,500 words that, that were there, uh, I would say that a lot of today's society uh, knows some of those words, but I don't know, maybe not, <laughs> because some, mm. of, some of the arguments that they have in there would, would be a, a, a challenge where, uh, and, and I see it in some of the schooling right now, where people or, or kids, they learn for the grades, they don't necessarily learn for the learning, right? So you might have for a vocabulary lesson, had to memorize 20 or 100 words, but then how right. quickly did like the next week, the next day, did you forget <laughs> what they were and never have to use them because you don't use them in daily speech. So I can see a, a, a truth to that. But yeah, if there's no kind of historically documented um, evidence of that, it, it's, it's really a hard claim to, to make. His, his actual quote, his actual quote, I found it, is that, well, this is what he said. America was literate beyond anybody's wildest dreams and not merely book literate. He's talking about like, you know, pre-modern America. Mm -hmm. Americans were broadly proficient in the formidable active literacies of writing, argumentation, and public speaking, things which had actually been a crime to teach ordinary people under British colonial rule. 
Foreign travelers like Tocqueville were surprised and impressed with what the new nation demonstrated in action about the talents of ordinary men and women, abilities customarily suppressed in Europe among the common classes. So maybe he was saying that America, you know, they were letting more people get educated, and that's why America was innovating and Europe was not. But I'd really like him to give some citations for these kind mm-hmm. of arguments mm-hmm. because they are hard to swallow sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, you can see a world where that could make sense, right? Because if you think about back in the early Americas, right, everybody coming in was, was an immigrant, right? They were kind of the, the folks from uh, Europe that were trying to make a new life, trying to start things up. So they had kind of that whole entrepreneurial spirit there. They, they were the ones that were probably reading on their own, learning to read and teaching their kids to do so on of their own accord, not because uh, they had to, but because they wanted to and they felt that, that it was the, the right thing to do. And if you have an entire nation uh, of, of people doing that, I, I, I could definitely see it happen. But I mean, there's probably no uh, double blind studies <laughs> about documented back then that kind of recorded all that. But I find that. Uh, quite quite interesting and definitely plausible, but at the same time, to your point, no no uh, well documented c- citations for that, uh, at least that that we could find. Mm. And and one comment that I would have about your uh, mention of uh, kind of going back to to uh, kind of the the good old days, uh, like in, <laughs> in 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 my age and how schooling was done before, right? Um, so part of uh, my track in terms of like uh, elevating education and bring it back to its glory days, that sort of thing, is to bring back things like like the uh, apprenticeship mm-hmm. model, right? Because that was really the way that folks learned uh, way back before the modern school system, right? They, they found someone that they could learn from and they learned it from them, not necessarily by uh, being schooled, but by, by doing, right? Going in and uh, with, with the baker, the... the uh, the blacksmith and the candlestick maker mm-hmm. or whatever it is, they would uh, work under them and, and they would learn how to do it. So if we could do that with the accountants, doctors, lawyers, engineers, and pretty much any other profession, uh, why couldn't we do something similar, right? So that would be my thought. And one of the challenges that, that he has is he doesn't really give a true alternative for for uh, for ed- modern education, right? He kind of puts forth the like, Go and walk around the city and learn by yourself, right? And hope that we drop you off in the middle of downtown and then you're old enough to make your way home, right? Literally, that is his argument. Literally, there's a whole section where he talks about people who, as children or in their adolescence, walked the earth, like walked the country Mm -hmm. and look at how well they turned out, Mm -hmm. right? And that argument is kind of bizarre, I mean, I understand what he's getting at. I mean, the whole idea is that, you know, you learn things on your own. When you're forced to come up with stuff and survive, that's when you learn best. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, that is what he's telling people to do. And it seems like a strange message at the end of all this. It does. But again, it seems a little bit compelling for me. So like uh, the example that I often give to to folks is like uh, we all have GPS, right? We Mm -hmm. we plug in an an address and somewhere and, and, and it tells us where to go, right? But back in my day, <laughs> I had to print out a map. I actually had to know where I was going. I had to figure out turn by turn. And I think I knew the city better. I knew the area better because of that, right? Because I didn't have this kind of device that allowed me to, to kind of uh, figure things out. So with all these kind of modern day con- conveniences, we're, we're learning less and less. So if, if I had to, 
uh, and, and, and I kind of joke with my wife, like, like my kids should walk to and from school, right? Now it's a 20, 20 minute walk. It's not huge. It's, it's a five minute uh, drive, but it's one like, when are they old enough to, to, to get home? And so, shouldn't they get home? So you're joking own? with your wife. Are the kids walking to school now or not? They, they are not. But again, <laughs> back in my day, right, when I was uh, growing up at the same age as my uh, as my son, I was taking the the bus, like tra- public transportation, to school. Right. Mm, so right. it wasn't walking. It was uh, probably like a, a, an hour walk and uh, maybe a, a fifteen twenty minute uh, bus ride. At, uh, a transfer. Right. I had to pay my my ticket. I had to go in get a transfer, and I would be responsible to do that. But now, right. if you were to get someone uh, like that was in grade four, and he's in grade four, and the the folks around me are like, we can't let kids do that. That's not possible, right? But well, the, yeah, because because they, we argue that it's not safe. A hundred percent, right? And that's just that's probably the main argument against it for that most parents have right. in this day and age. And and then the 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 research and the statistics is that right now it's probably the most safe that it's ever been in the history of anything the, the, the problem is every bad thing is published and uh, on social media so that everybody knows back in the day mm-hmm. nobody knew that stuff was happening so it was it was worse but nobody knew about it <laughs> right uh, so there's actually now, research around that 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 says it but because we it's all the news is uh, trying to trigger our our fear cycles then it would be a challenge so um, I, I think that uh, having an education system where you had to do and you had to fail and uh, you, you probably made mistakes. And obviously, we don't want to put the kids in danger. Right? That, that's not my, my, my point. But um, they could get a little bit dirtier. They probably could uh, have a few more like bumps and bruises around. And they could probably learn a lot more and, and be able to kind of weather the storm of, of life and career um, in, as well. Now, I agree with what the book is trying to say as a general pre- pre- as a, as a general thing, like mm-hmm. thematically. I do think kids need to figure things out on their own and they need to fail and, you know, wandering seems like a good place to start <laughs> in some cases. But you're saying, you know, you're trying to s- introduce the concept of a 20-minute walk for your kids, right? He's advocating in the book for walking a city or walking across the world, walking across a country. He also advocates that, you know, that's just the that's one argument. He actually goes much further. He argues like, you know, talking about apprentice model. He's saying that a surgeon does not need training. Hmm. A surgeon can just open up a surgical manual and then perform an appendectomy after he's read it in a book. <laughs> this seems like a huge stretch. And he lists some case mm-hmm. of like, we don't know, where a person was, you know, on death's door. They needed emergency surgery. There was no one around to do it. So... A random person who wasn't trained opened the principles of surgery book, learned how to do it, cut the guy open, and fix the guy, and the guy lived. Mm-hmm. As a physician, this seemed insane. You know, I don't think I could ever trust the life of anyone that I cared at all about to such a scenario, right? And his argument this is another example. Like his ex- arguments were so extreme that I just could not accept them after a while. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And he probably picked the example where there was the success and didn't cite the, the hundred other ones that weren't successful as well. But but I would kind of argue in his favor in the sense that when you're a medical student and you're performing your first surgery, right, that's basically mm-hmm. what you did. Right now you have the other people around you to kind of make sure you don't do it. But presumably that person is trained enough where to say, OK, yeah, keep going. 
yeah, keep going. Just just go ahead, right? I, I don't I don't think it's it's very common for a doctor to go in make this first. Yeah. No, 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 no. Let me take over. To be you fair, totally he, swing he it was up, just right? arguing so, that it's not as hard as we think it is. So that it can be pulled off right. with minimal training, and then with a little bit of apprenticeship, maybe it would work better. But it doesn't read like this as you're reading the book. Yeah, and but but again, I would I would argue that uh, a similar system now with a, a few more checks and balances, a little bit more support, mm-hmm. right, uh, is there where you we kind of want to make sure we don't want you to just okay the guy is hemorrhaging. You read this book right away and quickly figure it out. Okay, you read it first, understand it, know the mm-hmm. steps and all this stuff. We'll test you with it, and then when we think that you know what you're doing, then go ahead and try it. Uh, and, and if anything goes wrong, we'll have some, a couple of folks who have done it before and, and get them to it. But I think it's it's a similar type of uh, case, but but just in, in a different, uh, a little more um, safeguarded circumstance, okay. right? So so I think what he's saying is that, like, well, maybe some of those safeguards aren't even necessary. And, and we could probably help that, uh, he, have that he happen. He also list, goes through a long list of people in the world <laughs> who didn't do much schooling and indicates how successful these people are. Therefore, they act as the proof, Mm -hmm. you know, that schooling is unnecessary. And this part of the book I found quite compelling, actually, because Mm -hmm. he lists a lot of famous people, a lot of famous innovators. And actually, these are all people that I knew they didn't finish school. This is well-known information. But just to see it all collated like this in the book really made me think, you know, like a big example. he, He basically listed all the Silicon Valley, right, which is the major innovation in America of the last 50 years, right? Just mm. the growth of the computer industry and internet information technology. Most of the people who are the driving forces of that do not need school, right? You look at, you know, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, you know, I, you can name all these other guys, like the guy who founded Dell, the guy who founded Netscape. Most of these guys didn't do much schooling. And I was like, you know what? There's something to be said for this. But then I was like, all of these are just entrepreneur guys, right? I was like... Does the argument hold? And then he starts listing politicians. You know, most of our presidents, they're not great students, right? Most of the leaders of political parties are not great students. And and mm. that made me think, because historically, I've always been of the school of thought that, you know, we should get a more educated person in that role, right? And, you know, one of the problems, like you could look at our Western society and say, one of the problems of our society is that really educated people who know a lot about issues are not the ones in those roles. They're stuck in the ivory tower. But this book is actually saying, you know what? They're stuck there for a reason. And the actual people who are the movers and shakers, mm-hmm. getting stuff done, doing things in the world, actually don't have much schooling. And I found that to be very interesting, actually. Yeah, and I think one of the clear distinctions that he's making is actually a quote that I was surprised that wasn't in the book, but it was uh, cited from Mark Twain, which basically says that don't let school, uh, don't let uh, school get in the way of education, mm-hmm. right? Basically, meaning that all of those people didn't go through school, but they still ended up with an education, and, and the main distinguishing means that education is, is the learning of it, the the experiential of it. Um, going through it and trying it out, making mistakes, getting your hands dirty, and figuring how to get it done. And the schooling is the the book, the grade, the test, the exam, uh, that in theory shows that you know something, but in practice may not, mm-hmm. right? So I think that is kind of the, the clear message that he's uh, sharing, which those folks who are highly successful, they probably went through some schooling, but ne- didn't necessarily do well and decided to say, ah, screw it, I'm just going to figure it out on my own. And they decided to get the education uh, 
through their own means, which mm-hmm. is kind of why he advocates things like homeschooling and kind of unschooling and those types of concepts as well. So uh, it, it's it's distinguishing the fact that it's not that they lack from an education because the, the, a lot of those are really smart people, right? Not in the traditional, I got an A plus in uh, like K through 12 type of schooling, but in the sense that I understand the world. I understand how people think, how the world works, and how to leverage uh, different things to my advantage. Do you really think that these people are somehow better off having not gone to school? Because you could, you know, especially these Silicon Valley dudes, you know, there was a time when Bill Gates was regarded as one of the most sinister businessmen in the world. He's he's mm. since then become somewhat of a philanthropist, but even then, you know, he's not the most, you know, most upfront citizen in the world possibly <laughs> and I, I won't even mention well i will mention mark zuckerberg right like you know there's many people in the world that really question this guy's motive so then you uh, there is this part of me that wonders is that because of a lack of schooling you know like a lack of exposure to certain things because ultimately a lot of these dudes that he lists in this book are just straight up entrepreneurs right like and, and it's a libertarian book right so it's very got a very pro-america capitalist you know free market uh-huh. thing going on so to to him the, the ideal, the height of human achievement is an entrepreneur who's raking in big bucks and listing, you know, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg. This is evidence that schooling is not necessary or Bill Gates, schooling is not necessary. But what about the fact that some people actually learn stuff over the course of their life to tell them what not to do, right? To, to say, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it's maybe un, infinite growth is not a great thing. It obliterates people, destroys families, destroys the environment. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know if p- planting a bunch of entrepreneurs as the, you know, Mount Rushmore of, you know, achievement is, is the right way to go. Well, I, I think one point of it is that if you think about what the definition of an entrepreneur is, it's someone that basically takes um, on their, their own set of risks mm-hmm. uh, to basically try to innovate and, and change the system, Right. So if if you kind of think through that, then the people who are uh, doing kind of everything that the way they're supposed to do, the, the, the status quo and, and what have you, they will make whatever they make in terms of a, a mark, in terms of a legacy, in terms of income and all that sort of stuff. But the folks that kind of dare to do something different, right, and can leverage a system, take a look at some sort of arbitrage or, or a new market or like some, some blue ocean, that sort of thing, where there is uh, untapped opportunity, those are the ones that are going to have to go against the grain. They're the ones that are going to have to go against the school system to do that. Now, uh, to your point of should they have learned something from like in terms of like moral compass or what have you, I, I don't know if school really teaches you that per se. <laughs> True. It, it teaches you to kind of listen what to what everybody else is doing. And by doing that, obviously, you can't uh, reap all the rewards of capitalizing on different things that, that other people aren't taking advantage of. Um, so so uh, I don't know if it's the role of school. Some people could say well, maybe that's the role of like things like religion or the, or the role of the family, right? Mm. Um, and, and I think part of it is uh, a combination of, of those where it's, it's the breakdown of things like, like religion, things like the, the family unit uh, and with like double income families where, where parents are both now working and spending less time at home. So therefore you have to rely on school to provide that education versus uh, back in in the day the the, the parents were, were mostly home they were able to talk to their kids they were able to kind of instill those values there so i i don't think it's it's a one 
thing that uh, kind of perpetuated all of it. It's, it's a combination of a whole bunch of things that kind of got us to uh, where we are today, right? And it doesn't mean that we can't get out of it. Uh, we just have to know uh, where we can kind of pull the different levers in order to make change. So based on what he's saying, overall, you know, what's your, what, what's the alternative? Like, sure, walking around, but in a, from a practical sense, like we, you know, as parents, we've read the book. Like, what do we take away from it when we are dealing with our children or when we're planning, you know, what our children should be doing with their time? Are we pulling them out of school as a result of reading this book? Well, if I were to, to kind of reverse engineer some of his arguments, so so part of it was it's to create kind of this this cattle class where everybody is our consumers and they're buying a whole bunch of stuff they don't really need. If folks aren't uh, buying dumb things or things that aren't, aren't really necessary, which is probably 50%, 80% of what we buy. Right. Right. Because if we think about like kind of the necessities where it's it's, it's a house, it's it's food on the table, and then right. it's a whole bunch of stuff. Like how much do you really need? Like, do you really need that 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 car, those clothes, <laughs> those this and that, right? Like, uh, so if we got back to some version of that, right? Y- you, yes, you can still well, his, spoil yourself if, once in a while. If you did that, his whole entrepreneur class would collapse. All, most of those dudes that are that broke out and sold something would be gone. Yeah, well, I think they would still be there, but just not uh, a trillionaire or a billionaire, right? They'd right. be millionaires, right? Where I think it, w- it would temper a little bit of that because you have all the masses buying uh, everything, right? Which which kind of uh, makes it like a snowball that, that's uncontrolled versus, well, there's a whole bunch of people that have realized that it's important to them. So it would temper that a little bit. And, and I would argue that it'd probably be more of those like small millionaires versus a handful of billionaire trillionaires right that's maybe thing. Um, so so well if, if you're kind of following that logic then uh within that then then, then mom and dad probably don't both have to go to work probably mm-hmm. only one of them have to go to work they probably have to work less which probably means they can spend more times with the kids which probably means they don't have to go to school for as long which probably means that uh we'll have kind of back to that family unit and, and all that sort of stuff which they can actually learn what they want to be learning instead of learning what they're forced to learn, right? So, uh, I mean, I don't know if that's a solution because I, I don't know how to get everyone to stop buying stuff. Right? And and I like my stuff too, right? Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I will still probably buy things that, that I don't need, but do I need as, as much of it if we can kind of reduce it so that people are consuming and spending 5% less, 10% less, 20%, whatever the number is, and then f- trade that in for an extra one, two, three, four, five hours with their kids. Is that worth it? Right? I don't know. This is, that's a question. Is this idea, like you, you hearken back to the family unit and this argument makes me cringe a little bit because, because I feel like the term family unit is like this political thing, right? That, Mm. that, you know, and especially in America, like that, you know, the right wing likes to use, you know, hearken Mm. back to the family unit. Was the family unit really that great? 50 years ago, 100 years ago, you know? Like, in the older society, woman, you know, has to stay home and watch the kids. Man is outside working, right? Gallivanting mm-hmm. around. You know, a lot of women are uneducated. You know, how much teaching are they really doing to the children? What kind of teaching would be would they be able to provide? Is Are we looking back at this f- mythical family unit and saying, you know, things were really great back in the day when people weren't getting divorced and... Mm-hmm. But was that really what was happening? Were those homes happy? Were children learning a lot? Or were they just actually not doing much at all and then just, you know, going to school less than they do now? Like, 
I don't know if it's so easy to say that that old ideal is so perfect, but libertarians love that argument. And I feel <laughs> like I need some more proof of this. And we might as well talk about it a little bit. Libertarians in general want less government control, uh -huh. right? They have this idea that the more we let society figure things out on its own and let people have freedom of choice, the better things are. So uh -huh. they're generally very opposed to government intervention. And then the schooling system itself is a massive, huge government intervention, right? Uh -huh. Healthcare is another huge, massive government intervention. Um, they come at problems from this viewpoint, you know, that as an individual, I have a right to make my choices and I don't need to be told what to do. And furthermore, if all of us execute those choices, our individual choices, we're much better off as a society. And I feel like they're always trying to prove that point, but I don't know if it, I don't know if it's really true or not. It's just one of many theories of how the economy should run or how policy should be made. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't know either. Right. I, I don't I don't uh, propose that that is the correct solution. I think we've got to a point where if you kind of stripped away government or whatever, <laughs> I don't know if I, I would like that sort of world. Right. But I what I do know, and, and I think this was a, another book, I don't think it was the same one, but there was uh, kind of a, a, a turning point in um, society where it was around, again, the 1900s, that, that sort of thing, where uh, actually they, they, they pin it on like the the self-development movement, right? Where uh, prior to that, there was a lot of uh, research done in terms of a lot of the the, the words used in in, in, in speeches and, 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 and writing and stuff like that. And stuff like the words like like duty and faith and honor and stuff were, were constantly there versus uh, after kind of the whole kind of Dale Carnegie movement and, and, and uh, people kind of... Uh, creating the, the, the means for themselves, there was more uh, on kind of the whole capitalist type of thing where you uh, are uh, able to kind of achieve any dream, but it was all for personal gain mm -hmm. versus kind of the collective whole, mm -hmm. right? So uh, I, I think that back in the day, that whole family unit had uh, kind of that sense of like moral duty and, and taking care of each other. And uh, if you were to leave folks in, in that day and age to kind of make their own decisions, they would have probably done so in in a way that would have helped kind of the collective whole. Now, if you do that, I am not sure. <laughs> right? And I don't know if, if that would be the, the correct thing to do, but at the same time, it is, it is quite an interesting um, uh, proposal to, to, be, to be able to uh, consider. So we've talked a bit about the book, our general take on it seems to be that, you know, we kind of like some of the themes that it points at. We think maybe he goes a little bit overboard. So it seems like we're both in sync about this. Let's talk about practicalities. Like, how do we apply this to parenting and to our own lives? You know, what what do you think is the take home for parents? Now that we've identified that, well, I, I, we didn't even talk about it, but it identifies that schooling is mostly a waste of time, <laughs> right? And the kids do not need to be in school for this long. Most of the stuff that they're doing is a waste of time. Presumably, you and I both agree with this to some degree, mm -hmm. right? And I, to, for me, the most compelling part actually was when he talked about post-secondary education, that you don't remember anything you learned during those years. Mm -hmm. And it really is true. Like I went to university for four years. I worked hard. I studied hard. I did okay. If you ask me now, what did I learn? <laughs> I can name, I can rattle, rattle off a few catchphrases like Krebs cycle, you know, Calvin cycle, <laughs> right? Thermodynamics. That was the name of a course. I can tell you the names of the courses. <laughs> if you ask me to do something, what actually happened inside the course, forget it, right? And, and, and 
and medical school was different, you know, yeah. like a lot of the stuff I learned there, I actually had to use later. So, you know, it's a bit of a different thing, but university, wow. Like that was an expensive, fun time. Great time. Wouldn't trade it for the world, but really learn very little in the grand scheme of life. Yeah. And, and I think that kind of based on our experience paints, paints the picture, right? Cause uh, the, the current system, um, again, it, it does accomplish something. Uh, you, you probably do have learned some stuff, but like the, the names of courses <laughs> or a few concepts <laughs> probably isn't necessarily worth that. And, and I mean, his specific, um, point is, is for kind of the, the K to 12 system, right? So the, the primary right. and, and the, the secondary system. So the, uh, post-secondary is, is a whole different kettle of fish, uh, but mm-hmm. it, it, it's kind of has a similar vein, um, but yeah, I would say that it's one of those things, again, don't let school get in the way of education, right? Because folks can learn and get educated in uh, possibly a more efficient way. Because uh, I think there was an argument where people can learn to read in in like 30 hours, right? That, that yeah, sort of thing. I remember that. Yeah. And, and I've uh, kind of had similar research where, I mean, there's the uh, 10,000 hour rule, which is was popularized by, uh, I think, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, based on the work mm-hmm. of like uh, Eric Anders about to be world class at something that you only you need like 10,000 hours in order to uh, of deliberate practice to get world class at something. But what mm-hmm. po- most people don't uh, realize is there's kind of an, another thing where to be kind of good enough and going back to something like that, that 500 words to, to, to be really good at a language and compared to like the 10,000 words in the language itself, in order to get good enough at something, you really need only about 25, 30 hours. Uh, mm. But the problem is to figure out what those 25, 30 hours is for any particular thing to learn uh, might be take a ridiculous amount of time. Like if you were to, let's say, take any of the, the typical professional um, career paths, so like a doctor lawyer, accountant, engineer, there's probably a whole bunch of stuff that you do on a regular basis and a whole bunch of stuff that you do once in a while, right? Mm-hmm. So if you were to learn that stuff that you do on a regular basis and count that as the 25 hours, right? And, and, and can really nail down a course, uh, you probably don't need four years, eight years or whatever it is to learn that. You probably need four months or maybe four weeks mm-hmm. even, right? Um, uh, so if we could do something like that, like then you get an education you don't have to go through school, right, for, for that. Now, if you mm-hmm. want to get a, a, to be a true expert and take that 10,000 hours and be kind of world-class or something, well, that's a little bit more of an investment, right? And, and then you have to actually uh, do that, right? And I think what we're, or, or what the, the school system right now is, we're trying to do all of that uh, kind of en masse and together, right, to, to give everybody um, the exposure to all these different concepts and try to get them world-class but not to focusing on kind of that, that proper uh 25 hours 30 hours that will really make folks good enough for anything so that would be my thoughts so getting back to the practicality part then then we've accepted that schooling the way it's constructed today is inefficient and may even be detrimental to students like he's he's pretty big on saying that you know schooling is bad for your kids it's going to turn them into mindless drones (laughs) assuming that we buy into this now what do we do with our kids and what do we do with ourselves we've wasted our lives essentially but what do we do with our kids i can't call it a waste it's something that that you can learn from and grow from right Uh, and take those experience (laughs) and get better but yeah for for me specifically what what i'm uh kind of doing with my kids is i'm focusing them and and what i actually tell a lot of uh, my my school age uh, clients is that 
learn um, or do school for the learning, not for the grade. Hmm. Right. Which is going through and saying, okay, did you actually know what you're doing? Not the fact that you got an A, right, or a B or whatever it is that you got. Like an A or B is a proxy for, hey, you knew what it was and you know how to do it. Now, whatever it is that you're learning, go and apply it. Go and put it into the real world and, and do something that showcases that, that you can uh, actually understand the concepts and, and put it into practice, right? So if we can figure out ways for them to, to do that, uh, then I think that that's the practicality of it, where it's it's not an A for an A's sake, because uh, in, in university, that, that very expensive good time, you probably did okay. Right? You probably got mm. good grades, but to... to uh, your detriment or, or maybe to the achievement of the system like you didn't really learn <laughs> all that much but you got good grades well right that's not true i learned what i needed to know for the moment but none of that stuff was important fair that, enough. that was yeah. a that's a slightly different issue sure. right but that, that issue still applies in k to 12 mm-hmm. right like like your children they're learning geography right is that map going to be important to them later on like that factual information even the ability beyond the very basic ability to read a map like how important is it Right. Or even history. How important is it? Children will challenge you on this. So the, the more perceptive children will be like, I don't need to know this. Mm-hmm. Right. And and Gatto says this is a very valid argument. Most of the stuff you learn is just filler. You don't need to know it. Mm-hmm. You just need a basic reading ability, basic arithmetic. That'll get you through most of life. Mm-hmm. So why do you need to know calculus? Why do you, and you really don't like now how who, which one of us really is our lives are enhanced because we could calculate velocity. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. This is a this is the thing. Like, even our children, we can say, okay, do it for the sake of learning. But if they're very perceptive, they're going to argue with you and say, well, I what's this for? Yeah, and I guess my my counter to that is when you learn things and even have the factual information, because a lot of folks argue is like, why should I learn it? I can I can just ask Siri. I can just ask Google <laughs> right? when mm-hmm. when I need to look it up. It's like, okay, th- that's fair. Um, but if you look at some of the things that uh, what makes people successful it's usually uh lends itself to some sort of creativity right being able to put uh something new and novel concepts together but but what people kind of uh, mistake from creativity is they think it's kind of like this this lightning bolt muse that out of nowhere things come but it, it almost never is it's almost uh almost always the uh kind of um culmination of multiple ideas into a new one right so without learning those the Krebs cycle or the thermodynamics or whatever, without having learned that before, even though you kind of quote unquote forgot it, it's still in there somewhere. And then those uh, two or three or however many concepts can work together and produce this new creative and innovative thought that can advance mankind in, in some sort of in innovation or invention or whatever. And, and that is where... Uh, people become uh, billionaires, right? Where they come up with something that nobody thought about. Everyone is thinking about <laughs> and, and uh, they, they make it into reality, right? So uh, yeah, there is an argument where uh, you, you don't need to learn it. But if you do learn it, then you have this opportunity for uh, ec- extreme growth and, and uh, much more um, different possibilities there versus not learning at all. Yeah, I mean, you can continue to just uh, enjoy life and uh, hopefully, uh, I don't know, uh, farm the land and, and just uh, sew your own clothes and stuff of that, right? You could do something like that. But if, if you want to kind of advance mankind, there's probably a little more growth that's needed. Yeah. So we're saying, or what you're saying is that you there's a certain amount of 
basic foundational knowledge, right, you need. And that knowledge is not, you know, easily obtained, can require a lot of rote work, you know, put your nose to the grindstone for quite some time to obtain. I don't think Gatto is saying that we don't need that stuff. Right. He's just saying that school is not a good way of learning that stuff. Right. And it's still terribly inefficient. Yeah, and, and I would uh, agree with that. So one of the things that, that I often uh, share with folks is like, there is no course on learning to learn, right? And, and we did, we've talked about it before, things like memory techniques, right? So imagine you mm. start your life or start your schooling with that. And mm. now like all the stuff that you have, you can actually retain. How much right. different would your educational career be, right? And if we focused on, on things like that, making it interesting, making it applicable, right? Making it something that you can uh, use in, in every day or, or not necessarily every day, but at least in, in uh, a, a fairly regular occurrence, right? If those are the things that you, you got to uh, do, uh, then, well, could life be different? And then you can cite things like some of the, the Nordic countries where they have no grades, but then all of their education is based on like practicality and learning to, to do stuff. And they seem to have the, the highest kind of educational ratings and, and stuff of like that as, as well. So, I mean, you could point to things like that, that, that might say, well, that kind of makes a, an interesting case. So it, it, mm. it's one where, I mean, um, the, the school system, the way it's designed, where you just kind of sit and wait, right, and, and do it this way, and you have to get this answer in order to do things. Well, that might be one way to demonstrate uh, learning, but it, it might not be. There might be other more effective and more efficient ways to do that as well. I recently had an interesting conversation with a medical student of mine. She was actually a, a math major. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, you were in math and now you're in medicine. Like, those are quite different. And we kind of talked about math mm -hmm. for a while. And I was like, you know, because I've been trying to work with my daughter on her math problems and I was tr trying to figure out what's the right balance. You know, sometimes if she's staring at a problem that's a little harder, you know, she doesn't know the answer. Should I feed her the answer after a while so we can keep moving on? Or should I really let her simmer on that thing for a long, long time? Mm. And, you know, I think Gatto's answer would be let her figure it out on her own. Mm -hmm. Eventually she'll get there, you know, maybe nudge it a bit. And my student actually is from mainland China, so different background and eventually got really good at math, can solve all sorts of problems at high speed. And she's like, yeah, I actually, when I was young, people told me the answer, told me how to do it, right? They told me how to do it. So the next time I saw the same question, I could do it again. I could do it faster and faster. And that's, the, that's a way of learning, mm -hmm. right? It's very rote and probably not that ingenious. Like, you know, there's not a lot of ingenuity going on, but it eventually produces a person who's really strong at, that, at doing that problem, mm -hmm. but maybe does not produce people who can you know, see beyond the problems, right? I just think that this book is really trying to give us, try to take us toward a more holistic approach to learning. Mm -hmm. um, but the jury is out on how do we actually do it. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything wrong with taking that more holistic one. And you're right, it doesn't really provide a prescription. And in order to fix the problem, you must do this. Well, I, I guess he kind of says is like, like leave your kids downtown and let them come home is essentially what they're or walk across the country and 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 uh, hope which you our can wives get back. are not allowing us to do. But. <laughs> Absolutely right, and and nor would I necessarily be really comfortable with that, right? Because I would probably be very anxious because if anything did happen to him, it's it's all my fault, right? That sort of thing. Well, it's Godo's well, fault. It's not our fault. It's Godo's fault. Fair, fair enough, but uh, it's it's one of those things that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there is something to be said about learning on your own. So what I'm looking to, to do is kind of marry the two where, okay, yeah, keep going to school, but uh, make sure that you're learning something from it 
make sure that you're able to apply it and, and take that into the real world. And and now, am I am I doing that in a, in a good way? I, I don't know. Pro- probably not. I probably could be doing it better <laughs> as, as well. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I have to work. I have to buy my stuff and I have to <laughs> like get, join the consumer society, right? So I feel like his argument works well for us because our children are young. Mm. And when I look at our kids, you know, you, you know, your kids are a little bit older than mine, but they're basically young enough that I feel like most of the things they learn, you know, in grade one, two, three, four, these are foundational learning blocks, mm. you know, how to read, how to print neatly, you know, how to do basic arithmetic. These are important things. No one's going to argue that that stuff's not important. Mm-hmm. I, th- I feel like the challenge, and I feel like spending a lot of time working with them, drilling this stuff so that they get good at it is a good thing. I think the more interesting part will come when they're a little bit older, mm. right? The, the things become a little bit less, you know, directly applicable to life, you know? You know, like, I love books, you know, but, you know, reading the books that the school tells you to read and then manufacturing essays on demand about it, uh, that type of thing becomes less and less applicable to real life as you get further on. And I wonder what we would do about it at that point because we won't be able to say well this is important you know this eventually it will be just be learning for the sake of learning you just got to grind through it right you may not even like the subject it may have no future relevance to you you may hate it but you just got to do it right and and as as a chinese canadian parent that's a that's the way we're brought up just just take it man just take it <laughs> Well, that, that brings me to a, a different topic with a different book, but basically their argument is uh, related to the uh, requirement of math for so many different things, where if you think about a lot of the career paths, math isn't really high, high up there in terms of like need. Um, but if you think of kind of like the, the SATs, all the standardized testing, right, you need a very high math score in order to get into kind of the, the Ivy League uh, top rated colleges and universities. Right? Which John Gatto specifically says you should not be aiming for because those places will destroy you <laughs> and rot your brain. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. But I mean, if, if that is the, um, the goal, then there's a lot of barriers put into a lot of places uh, for math where math isn't even necessary uh, for kind of the day to day usage of, of mm-hmm. these types of things. So right. that's a, a, a slightly uh, different topic. But um, I think what, what, what came to mind uh, for, for me in, in that side is um, just an, an understanding that when we talk about education, uh, it's, it's something that uh, needs to be done a little bit more. Um, uh, well, there's an opportunity, opportunity to do a little bit more effectively, right? Where mm-hmm. uh, learning and sitting there kind of the, the, the rote learning, um, it, it, is there like a, I know they have like play-based kindergarten and, and a lot of people have said that that's not good. Maybe that's not the right place to, to introduce it, right? Uh, like people figuring out on their own, maybe maybe you can do it, but maybe it's, it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all type of thing. Maybe some people need a little bit of, of nudging, need a little bit of help. Uh, and then it, it kind of goes to um, the, the concept of, whole, of, of mastery learning to say that, well, our school system is advancing people based on year, right? Just because you were born a certain year, like you, you move along with the rest. But if I didn't mm-hmm. understand, if I was sick for, for a month and I couldn't get the concept, I'm just pushed ahead, right? And, and people uh, aren't able to kind of build on a foundation of understanding. And, and mm-hmm. the, the whole thing is, is, is um, again, we're, we're talking about um, being against kind of the school system. But like a lot of the, the, the teachers are just uh, kind of victims of the system, right? 
because a lot of teachers they get in there because they want to help kids learn but if you've ever been in a room and had to manage like 30 kids (laughs) that's just not Mm -hmm. a way to do it whereas if you were in a smaller schoolhouse where you might only have 10 kids five kids or something you could probably do a much better job in teaching them or things like individualized yeah or or not even individual but at least a smaller one where it is a little bit more personalized where maybe something like the montessori system obviously it's a private system but you get like five or ten at most um, kids to to manage right but right now the um the, the system has has degraded to the point where like one teacher handling 30 kids or if not more right that that can mm-hmm. be a very arduous task and when you're doing that i mean how can how can they possibly learn because and then you're advanced by year so you have the high performing ones with the medium performing ones and the low performing ones and one teacher is basically teaching three classes right yeah. and and trying to manage all that right so it's it's not a recipe for success yeah, Gatto does talk about this mm-hmm. in his book. Like he talks about a lot of stuff. Like <laughs> I think we, we, you know, we're trying to wrap this up, and he's there's a lot of arguments he makes yeah. that we didn't even have time to get into. Yeah. It is a long. It's not a very long book, but it has a lot of different arguments, and it really, you know, burns the school system at the stake. Really, like he's really opposed to it. Um, you know, why don't we close out and just give people like a quick take? Like, do you recommend they read this book? You know, what's the what's your take home about this reading experience? Yeah, I, I recommend folks to read it. If not to like, well, don't consume it and take it all for gospel. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but like ha- have a little bit of thinking, like what is applicable and what what might you want to do as a kid, as a student, mm-hmm. as a learner, as a parent? Right. What might be more relevant? Like, again, th- does it inspire you to say, OK, drop your kid off and let him walk the rest of the way home? I don't know if, if that's mm-hmm. the, what inspires you to do. Um, if, if it's one that, uh, like, yeah, don't take the GPS and maybe you go get lost and, and go find your way back home, right? It might be uh, where, where folks are uh, too reliant on uh, kind of the, the systems around where maybe we could uh, do a little bit more ourselves to explore the world. And uh, maybe we all should just kind of get lost somewhere and make our way home and, and then hope we can mm-hmm. uh, do, do the same thing. And, and the skills that we were supposed to have learned as a kid, may, maybe there's still time. Maybe there's still hope for yes. us. At the end of the day, I'm kind of sitting on the fence about this book. Like I enjoyed some aspects of the arguments that it presents, but I felt like the book was a little <laughs> bit too extremist, didn't go to enough trouble to offer supporting evidence in the form of footnotes or citations to really support what it's trying to say. It makes some good points about education. And, you know, I think a lot of what it says rings true to me as a parent and as a person who went through the education system for a long time. But I don't think it is rigorous enough of a book to be worth reading. I'm going to have to tell people to take a pass on this one. And hopefully, you know, in the weeks to come, in the months to come, we find some other books that really help us understand the problems with the education system and give us more of a solution than what's presented here by John Taylor Gatto. Let's close out with a quote, another, another passage from the book that I think sums up some of the meat of this book. School trains children to be employees and consumers. Teach your own to be leaders and adventurers. School trains children to obey reflexively. Teach your own to think critically and independently. Well-schooled kids have a low threshold for boredom. Help your own to develop an inner life so that they'll never be bored. Urge them to take on the serious material, the grown-up material, in history, literature, philosophy, music, art, economics, theology, all the stuff school teachers know well enough to avoid. 
Challenge your kids with plenty of solitude so that they can learn to enjoy their own company to conduct inner dialogues. Well-schooled people are conditioned to dread being alone. They seek constant companionship through the TV, the computer, the cell phone, and through shallow friendships quickly acquired, quickly abandoned. Your children should have a more important life, and they can.